The Awaken Project Chapter 7 Genesis by Starlight One of the greatest inventions created by Factor 12 was their virtual reality training system. As soldiers, we were not just mindless drones with guns. The new military initiative was far beyond that. While we retained divisions such as the Air Force, Navy, all soldiers were cross-trained for maximum efficiency in a variety of situations. A war fought across the globe called for troops that could perform under several different conditions. Training was paramount and the key to the eventual Alliance victory. I was not aware that the Alliance was using the VRTS on new recruits. I only discovered this when I arrived at boot camp and met Herschel Gray. Herschel was the picture-perfect marine stereotype. Tall, chiseled features, square draw, and loud as hell. When I stepped off the bus, he was leading the new recruits in push-ups. At first I thought he was the drill sergeant. Turned out he was fresh meat, just like me. When the real drill sergeant arrived, he tore into Herschel and Herschel puffed out his chest and returned the shouts in kind. As punishment, Herschel was ordered to run until he puked. I didn't see him for days. Throughout the first few weeks of boot camp, Herschel made it his mission to be the best. Every time trial there was, he was there to beat it. Herschel never complained, never gave up, and did everything with a proud smile on his face. At first I thought it was arrogance, but as I watched him I realized he had real pride in himself and he believed in the Alliance military. One night, while I was on guard duty, I heard the sounds of someone crying near the firing range. I found Herschel leaning against a tree, staring up into the night sky. When he noticed me, he quickly stood up wiping away the tears. I asked him what was wrong and at first he was hesitant but soon he told me what had happened. Herschel joined the military not only because he wanted to fight, but because the military would support any family members that were left behind. I learned Herschel was from Paramount City. His father had died of an illness and he was raised by a single mother. When Herschel turned 10, his mother was diagnosed with lineage disease, a disorder that slowly caused complete muscle failure. He learned that Factor 12 was working on a muscle-enhancing formula, which could also be used in the treatment of the disease. Herschel knew the only way to get hold of the formula was to join the military. It was not abnormal. The war had left many countries on the brink of collapse. Unemployment was over 50%, and many people were left without the basic necessities. All resources went to the war and in turn the little resources left were used to benefit the Alliance soldiers and their families. Herschel's mother's only chance for treatment was to be covered under her son's medical plan. Earlier that afternoon, Herschel received a call. His next door neighbor had found his mother collapsed in her home. By the time she was taken to the hospital, she had died. Herschel lost his main reason for joining and I believe the next thing he was going to tell me was that he was going to go AWOL. 
He told me that he would never quit and would continue on because he made a promise to his mother. After that night, we became friends, and for the first time ever, I had someone I could confide in. Over the next few weeks, Herschel and I learned all about each other. I told him everything about my life, and I learned everything about his. We became friendly rivals, competing against each other in our training events. We had a common goal, and that was to show up Sarah. Of course, that was until I fell for her. A few weeks before finishing boot camp, we were transferred to the advanced teams, codenamed Alpha Factor. We were the best of the rookies. By then, Sarah and I were moving forward with our relationship, and I was introduced to our squad commander, Lieutenant Commander Jonathan Kane. We were to be part of a special training course, which was to be kept secret until they were ready to begin. Later that night, Herschel told me that he knew what the training would be. VRTS was created to simulate conditions we may encounter in battle. The Federation was known to torture its prisoners using pain as well as pleasure to get information out of enemy soldiers. The VRTS was nicknamed the Coffin because of the small capsule-like device that the trainee would be placed into. Wearing a sensory suit, the soldier would be totally immersed within the virtual world that the VRTS engineers could control. The idea of being connected to a device that controlled what I saw and felt was extremely unsettling. Dealing with nightmares as a child and my other mental issues, the last thing I wanted was some scientist connecting a computer to my brain. Herschel laughed it off saying I was being silly and that it would make us better soldiers. He convinced me everything would be fine. He gave me his word, and that was good enough for me. The training was done in twos. Part of me wanted to be with Sarah, who had also made the team, but I was happy to be paired with Herschel. We were to work as a team to accomplish a variety of missions, and we would be scored as well as timed. We suited up and were strapped into the machine. Herschel's voice came over the internal speakers, telling me to relax, that it would be over quicker than I knew. I found myself in complete darkness, and slowly the reality around me came into sight. Everything seemed so real. I could touch, taste, and smell everything as if it was real. Herschel and I completed a series of test missions without incident, then moved on to the real training. At first, I was able to remember that nothing I was experiencing was real, but the engineers compensated for that by adding elements like pain. We had to behave as if it were real, or we could suffer damage to our own mind. What I did not understand was that time could be manipulated within the VRTS. It felt as if weeks had gone by, and soon we had forgotten that we were in an imaginary world. Herschel and I believed we were trapped behind Federation lines, trying to escape. To us, it was real. The danger. The fear of death. We had reached the checkpoint and devised a plan to get by, but something went wrong, and we were captured. Separated, I was locked in a tiny cell with no food, water, or sunlight until I thought I was going to die. Just as I prepared for death, they would pull me from my cell and give me enough food and water to live. If I refused, they would strap me down and feed me intravenously. 
They did not ask me a single question for months. One night I was pulled from my cell and put in another. There was a man bald in the corner trembling. It was Herschel. I tried to help him, but he would not respond. When the guards came, I asked them what they had done, but they did not answer. Not with words anyway. They struck me with their weapons until I laid bloody on the ground. They just laughed and left me there. For the next two weeks, I nursed Herschel back to where he slowly began to speak, but was incoherent babble. He spoke about his mother and how the war was a sham. It made no sense. When the guards returned, they took us both. They dragged us to an examination room. There were two metal tables where they strapped us in. Above us, there were seats where people could come and observe us. I yelled and cursed at them, but they did not care. I was ready to be tortured, but all they did was shine a green light over us and left us there. Days went by with the green light just shining upon us. I watched as people above came and went, but I had no idea what they were doing. There was a point where I wondered if they were doing something to me, but it was not working. That theory was reinforced when Herschel began screaming. He was shaken violently, crying out in agony, but no one came or even reacted to him. I yelled out telling them to stop. I was almost at the point where I would give them any information just so they would stop hurting him. Then in an instant, everything went dark and the screaming stopped. I awoke sometime later in the camp hospital. The bed beside me was empty. I slowly began to remember what happened to me. There was a knock on the door. Jonathan entered with two doctors and approached my bed. I asked him what had happened. He told me there were complications within the VRTS and that we were trapped in a feedback loop. They wanted to know why I was barely affected by the experience. I asked them what they meant by that. Jonathan's expression changed. It came to be one that I would easily recognize. He told me Herschel's mind could not handle the feedback and it overloaded. They used terms that I did not understand. But that was what happened. Herschel's mind shut down and he died. My mind remained resilient and they were able to pull me out. At that point, I did not care about my life. I had lost the only friend I had up to that point. Under orders, I was subjected to their tests so they could figure out why I survived. I never got to attend Herschel's funeral. By the time I was released, Herschel's body had been sent home to be buried next to his mother. I only had Sarah to turn to for comfort. I was never told why my mind was not affected while in the VRTS. The military continued to use it and I was ordered to keep quiet about everything that had happened. Being in a virtual reality made me realize how easy the mind could be tricked, manipulated. There were some nights in the field I would wake up and wonder if I was still in a machine. How do we know what is real? It was a question I once asked Sarah. She died before I received an answer. Hearing her words that everything had been a lie shattered any peace I had found. I sat up from the bed breathing heavily, sweating profusely. It was morning and I was alone in the cabin. Clara was gone, and her side of the bed was cold. Panic shot into me. I began to question everything I had experienced. 
All I wanted to do was find Clara and learn the truth. I rushed from the bedroom searching the house, but she was not there. I ran outside into the backyard. The bright warm sun and sweet smell of flowers had returned, but Clara was still nowhere to be found. Clara! I yelled out. Where are you? I'm right here, David. I spun around to see her standing there smiling at me. She was wearing a yellow summer dress and had her hair tied into a ponytail. I grabbed her, lifting her into the ear. She giggled as I spun her around, so happy to have her with me. The questions, the doubt, it was still there. But I fought against it because I wanted to believe what I had was real. Where did you go? I asked her. When I awoke, how, how did you appear behind me? Clara smiled, tilting her head slightly to the left. She would do this whenever I asked a question she found interesting. She grabbed hold of my chin with her hands and pulled me towards her. Her hands were soft, warm. She kissed me and then took my hand and began walking, leading me around towards the front of the house. You had questions before, Clara said. You wanted to know if this was heaven, if religion was correct. We have spent so much time in the past, I haven't been able to tell you about your present, our future. There is so much I have been tasked to explain to you. Tasked? I questioned. Clara continued walking until we came to a small hill overlooking a vast green valley. It seemed to go on forever. The beautiful scenery and the perfect day pushed back my need to question what I was seeing. But it was still there in the back of my mind. I believed Clara could sense it. I learned that a lovely prison is still a prison. And if that is what we had found ourselves in, then I had to know. As I told you, we are not here alone, Clara explained. Here is where all human souls go when they die. So everyone gets to go to heaven, I asked. Clara smiled slightly and lowered her head. I could tell what she was thinking. I was never one to talk about religion, heaven or hell. I believed what made us what we were was what we did when we were alive. I had no expectations of an afterlife. Perhaps that is why the death of the people I loved caused me so much pain. Heaven, Clara began. Heaven is a word used by people unable to understand what lies beyond death. This is not the afterlife. This is our life after. When we become old enough to make our own decisions, it is up to us to shape our lives the way we want it. You were always correct in believing that what you did while alive was what mattered because here, your happiness or sorrow depends on how you crafted your life in the physical world. The physical world? I questioned. I had not heard Clara speak like that before. After her parents were killed, Clara abandoned her belief in religion though I never joined her when she would attend services with the other Trinity members it made me happy to see her so content after she did 
there was definitely something missing when she turned away from her faith. She had already lost her parents, and leaving the people she had created a bond with left her empty. I did everything I could to fill that void, but in the end, I believed I had failed. So what you are saying is this place can be either heaven or hell, I asked. Yes, David, Clara answered. You bring everything you were from the physical world here. Any pain or unresolved issues upon your death follows you to your next life. This is why I had to tell you the truth about my death, about Richter. Even though I had found enough peace to enjoy this life, when your time to pass over came, my memories, my past, began to overtake me. When you arrived, I could feel your pain and it amplified mine. Since what you see is created by both of us, it can also be easily manipulated by our own feelings. The life energy that is everything that we were in the physical world can become unstable. Just as I can create our own personal paradise, you can also create your own personal hell and become trapped within it. It was the same as my dreams. Once I learned to control my dreams, it allowed me to have peace when awake, which in turn allowed me to be at peace when asleep. It began to make sense. Everything is connected through the mind, our perception. This did pose a problem. The voice told me everything I had seen so far had been a lie, and that I knew too well the mind could be controlled. The senses fooled. How could I be sure what was real, what we created, and what was being created for us? So, who created this place? I asked. Is there a God here? How did everything begin? I will show you, David, what I can, Clara answered. We will start at the beginning. Clara turned to me and placed her hand on the side of my face. She smiled at me as her eyes turned pure white and shined with a brilliant white glow. I could feel her presence enter my mind, and in an instant reality was washed away in a blinding light. The brightness faded like a dimming bulb into darkness. My physical body had faded from me, and I felt a feeling of weightlessness. To understand, we must see how everything began, Clara said, her voice echoing around me. From the darkness in the distance, small points of lights appeared, as if the stars in the night sky were being turned on one by one. We slowly drifted through space towards a small dark planet. I recognized the surroundings as our solar system, but the planet where Earth would be was nothing but a dead rock devoid of light and life. You must understand how life began to understand why it can never truly end, Clara said. Watch as the light of life is brought to our world. A stream of white light wrapped around the planet engulfing it. The planet glowed brightly for just a moment, then dimmed, leaving only a soft glow around the planet. I could not help but be amazed as I watched cracks form on the surface of the planet. Molten lava flowed from the cracks as oceans formed before my eyes. An atmosphere bloomed, 
as blue skies and white clouds covered the planet. The once harsh landscape came alive, turning a lush green as plants and trees grew from nothing. I can hear your thoughts, David, Clara said. Your teachings about evolution and science. I understand you cannot fully believe what you are seeing, but you are not incorrect. There was an evolution here. What you have witnessed was the process that spanned billions of years within a few seconds. I will show you and explain. With incredible speed, we flew towards Earth. We became streams of light that shot across space and into Earth's atmosphere. As we flew through the clouds, I noticed our physical bodies had returned. Clara now wore a long white dress, and my clothing had also changed. I was dressed in a navy blue suit, the same I wore the day I proposed to her. Clara took hold of my hand as we slowly descended on the edge of a jungle. A crystal blue stream, much like the one near the cabin, flowed out from the jungle to a massive waterfall. We, we landed on the edge of the cliff, just overlooking the waterfall. I glanced around at the fertile landscape, amazed by its beauty. Clara knelt down, grabbing hold of a small green lizard. She lifted up in the palm of her hand and presented it to me. All living things contain the life energy you saw pour into this world, Clara said. This was the spark of life that began the evolutionary process. The light engulfed this world, allowing organisms to grow, and as they evolved, they continued to carry the life energies with them, passing it on to their offspring. So, it's not just simply a soul, I questioned. Life energy exists in all life, sentient or not. Clara nodded her head and laid the lizard on the ground. A wide smile came over her face. She grabbed my hand, jumping off the cliff, screaming out in joy as we fell to the water below. Our bodies sliced th through the water as if we had made a perfect dive. I could feel the cool, clear water on my skin, but I could also see and breathe underwater. Clara pulled me from the water onto a sandy gold beach. We sat on the shore, looking out across a vast ocean. When humans evolve, our life energy evolves with it, Clara explained. In creatures and plants, it only serves as their original power source to their existence. However, within human beings, it takes on a much different role. Our life energy remains dormant within our physical bodies. You cannot see it, but it contains everything we are. Our experiences, memories, abilities, hopes, fears, and dreams. It is all contained within our life energy. Clara reached down, taking a handful of sand, holding it high into the air. With her free hand, she took her old of mine and placed it beneath hers. Slowly, she allowed the sand to fall between her fingers. I smiled as she did that, thinking about our times at Lake Daly, the fun we used to have at the beach. Life energy amongst family members is shared, Clara said. When a new life is created, the mother passes on some of the life energy to her children. This is part of the reason such a bond is created. The same happens when we die. Our physical bodies can no longer contain our life energy, 
and so it is released. Our life energy cannot exist outside the human body, in the physical world, so it is redistributed through the universe. Everything there was created using this life energy. Wait, then how are we all here? I asked. If our life energy is redistributed, then how are you and I together? Clara stood pulling me to my feet. She threw her hand up in the air releasing the sand. Each grain of salt turned into a shining ball of light that covered the area. The spares of light slowly drifted to the ground below. Reality changed right before my eyes, as if being washed away. From standing on the beach, Clara and I appeared atop our restaurant in New Chicago, overlooking the city. It was just as I had remembered, a bustling metropolis, vibrant with life. As I said, our life energy contains our memories and experiences, Clara continued. It was never God's plan to have our existence be extinguished. What is left here is what made you and I who we were. The remainder is redistributed to continue the circle of life. Clara's words and how she spoke them reminded me of how she first sounded when she began attending services. She wanted so much to share her experiences with me, but I did not want to be part of them. I was happy that she found something to believe in, but it was not my beliefs. To hear that our lives were all part of a divine plan made the transition from life to life after a bit more bearable. But hearing of a God that began the process of life left me with questions and the reassurgent of doubt. So then why go through life and the pain it can bring? I asked Clara. Who is this God and why does he allow his creations to suffer? Clara's smile faded and I could feel her presence leaving me. The bright light returned, blinding me for only an instant. In the blink of an eye, we had returned to the valley. Clara lowered her hands and turned away from me, looking back towards the cabin. I expected you would have doubts, Clara said softly. I have more to show you, but I have duties here as well. Duties? I questioned. Clara turned back towards me, then looked up towards the sky. There are those who have trouble transitioning from the physical life to this one, Clara said. We all have a guide who helped us when we first arrived. Some of us became guides ourselves in order to help others. We call ourselves angelics. There are no angels here, not in the traditional sense, but we do what we can to help the new arrivals. I promise I will return soon, David. Please, explore, relax, do whatever you wish. I will be with you soon. Clara leaned over and kissed me. As she did, her body turned into pure energy then disappeared. The experience disturbed me slightly, as it felt as if she was no more than a ghost and once again she had left me. There was so much more I wanted to ask her, but I was content I would have my chance soon enough. I spent the next hour exploring the countryside. No matter how far I walked, the landscape would continue on as if infinite. I found myself back at the stream near the woods. I knelt down by the running water, running my fingers through it. 
The tranquility reminded me of being a child and running away from the orphanage to my special place by a large oak tree near a small pound. I would pull a few stones from the shore and skip them across the water. Watching the water ripple always made me smile. Do not believe what she's telling you. Her voice did not startle me. I almost expected to hear it. I feared that as my happiness returned, so would the voice to bring doubt to my contentedness. I did not want to turn around. Her voice, it sounded haggard, as if she had been through war, through pain. Perhaps she was an imprint or an echo, a part of my mind that could not accept a peaceful existence. Why are you doing this to me? I said softly. Can't you just let me be? I felt her hand rest upon my shoulder. It was rough, cold. The static-like presence was all around me, pulling me away from what I so desperately wanted to accept. I lowered my head and rose to my feet. I closed my eyes and slowly turned around. You must accept the truth, she said. You will never be free until you do so. I felt her hands brush against my face. It felt familiar. I opened my eyes to something I could not believe. Clara stood before me. Her body looked faded, as if much of the color was drained out of her. She had aged. Her face showed the scars of sadness and despair. Her hair was shortened and unkempt. She was dressed in ragged, dirty clothing. She looked like many of the faces I saw when patrolling the war-torn cities on Earth. You, it, it, it can't be, I stammered out. It is me, David, Clara said. The woman you have been with is not real. You must free yourself, David. I will do everything I can, but it is up to you to break free of your prison. The veil had been lifted, and there was no turning back. No matter what would happen next, I would never be able to find peace there again. All that was left was to find out the truth. Next week, Chapter 8